Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode of Mike's Search for Meaning, my guest is Forrest Wilson. Forrest is a coach and facilitator and is the co-founder of Light in Action, a program designed to help integrate crucial and expansive insight into our daily life. This conversation feels like a very vulnerable one for me for two reasons. One is that Forrest and I divulge and disclose a lot about our own pain and our own inner work. And the second reason is that we talk about things that are a little bit out there. And uh, I make mention a few times in the episode that there's a little bit of fear that you, the listener, is going to think I have eight heads for the way that I'm talking. But these are things that I'm really curious and passionate about. I'm really curious about our consciousness as humans and what it means to be alive and what is our place in the planet. I'm really passionate about how we can make the world a better place. And that starts with doing the inner work and the shadow work on ourselves. So in this conversation, we start with what is shadow work? Just defining what that is. What are the parts of ourselves that we have compartmentalized, siloed, rejected, repressed? And how can we open ourselves to them? Because at the end of the day, what's going to make us whole and feel the most aliveness and satisfaction and passion in our life is to befriend all of the different parts of ourselves, even and especially the parts of ourselves that we really don't like. And from there, we talk, we go in a million different directions. We talk about flow states, we talk about the energy of money, we talk about authentic connection. There's so much in this conversation. And it goes a little bit, like I said, all over the place, you might lose us for a couple of minutes and say, what the fuck are these guys talking about? But this episode feels really important to me. And I, I ask you to stay with it because you're going to get a lot out of it. And Forrest is such an open hearted, wonderful human. You'll get a lot out of this. Take a deep breath. <sighs> and enjoy what Forrest has for us today. Forrest, my man, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be with you. And I don't think that I brought this to your attention, but I start all of my interviews with the same question. And I'm really curious to hear your answer. What was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh gosh, there's like all kinds of stuff happening to me getting that question. If I'm being real, dinner was a tough time for me as a kid growing up. Uh, we oftentimes didn't sit at the dinner table. We sat in front of TV trays and watched television while we, while we ate dinner. 
I always had a deep longing in my heart to be at the table with my family to know what was going on. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough, um, tough time for me. Dinners, dinners were, uh, were a place that a lot of, I remember like a lot of conflict, a lot of fighting. Um, it was, uh, <laughs> oh gosh, I, um, there's two things happening to me. I'm present to like some sadness in this. And I'm also present to like, huh, I wonder if anybody from my family is going to listen to this and be really <laughs> like, oh God, Forrest is talking about <laughs> childhood experiences at the dinner table. So what I'll say, what feels good for now is like, it was challenging. Honestly, it was really challenging. Um, I feel sadness touching into it. And uh, I'm like scanning in my memory for like some good memories. And I don't, I have one, let me share a good memory. Um, okay. Share something on the positive side. I remember one time I had a friend over and my sister and then my father made tacos and he was uh, picking up some beef to put into his taco and a piece of beef fell out of the, his spoon and into the sour cream. And he ended up taking a spoon and covering up the piece of beef in the sour cream to leave for my mom to find later. And we all thought that was just so funny. So I'm appreciating the invitation to remembering some of the good moments at the childhood table as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate you pausing to check in with that. Maybe uh, another way to, so this isn't about your family and it's more just about you is maybe a safer way to explore this would be to ask, what were you like when you were a young kid and growing up? Yeah. Um, in that question, I notice I there's a lot of there's kind of how I hear I was from people, and also then there's the question of like how do I remember feeling when I was a kid. One thing I know I felt, and that I hear that feels cohesive in the sense of what I felt and what I heard is just a lot of uh, go 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 kind of energy. I mean, I was an athlete. I played every single sport besides lacrosse. I played everything else, and I was just like up in the morning, out, like whether it was going for a run or riding my bike and going to a basketball game and then going to play golf and then going to whatever. Like I was just, I basically didn't stop moving unless I was eating or sleeping. And I just remember uh, always wanted to, like, I wouldn't say I wanted to be in my body, but that like at a, as a kid, I wouldn't have said that, but I would say that now. Like that was really just a deep passion for me was moving my body and skateboarding and <laughs> playing baseball, football, whatever it was being outside. Uh, I rode my bike a lot. Uh -huh. um, so I just remember like having boundless energy and exercising that with my, with my body. <laughs> and also I remember being super curious. Like I built, I took my aunt's, one of my aunt's old computers and I rebuilt it in my room. And so I had a computer in my room when I was young. It didn't even have an inter internet connection first. And then I figured out how, how to do that through a uh, landline. And I used to build these massive train sets all over the house. Like there would be these huge, I would call them twains with a W. <laughs> when I was like four or five years old, I'd spend all the time building trains. Um, and, I, and I do remember being artistic. I mean, I drew a lot of pictures. Um, I enjoyed dancing. I, my sister had a piano that had, you could punch in a song on the piano and the keys would light up of the uh -huh. song that was playing. And so I taught myself to play piano by playing the keys that were lighting up at the same time they were lighting up. 
And I was super sensitive. I was a very, very, very sensitive kid. I would cry very easily. I noticed I was, my, my parents called me radar because I would hear things from like down the street or I could hear, I could be upstairs in the bedroom and there would be a conversation going out in the yard and I would know what people were talking about. And so my, my family called me radar. Um, I had almost like a super sensory capacity to hear things and feel things. So yeah, that's some of, that's some of what I remember being a kid. Were, were there, you named before you went into what was, I guess your own description of yourself, but were there, I'm curious to hear the other labels that maybe you became attached with that other people projected onto you that you didn't feel as connected to? Like what, what were some of those? I, I'm, I, I think what's coming up for me is not an answer to your question, but I'm just going to go with what's coming up. I, I think for me, it was, I mean, there was certainly stuff that people projected onto me that I took on, but where my energy really goes is I just don't feel like I cultivated all of who I am. Like I talk about drawing pictures or playing the piano, like that wasn't cultivated in me as much as my like athletic side or my academic side. I, I, uh, I did a lot of baseball camps. I don't remember doing a music camp. You know, I did a lot of, uh, sports stuff. I don't, I don't remember doing like a, uh, artistic drawing kind of thing like that. Like, I, I think those were things in me that like simultaneously, I, I wasn't, I just don't feel like culturally those were looked at as, as intimately just growing up in a male body. I think it was easy to see the sports and the academics and stuff, and maybe not so much the artistic side. So I think as, as I've gotten older, I've gone back to that and gotten into singing and gotten into poetry and, and playing music and just rediscovered. Sometimes I call it my feminine side. Sometimes I call it my artistic side, creative side, the softer side of me. So yeah, I, I think it, I, that's just what comes up for me is kind of what was cultivated in me culturally. Was it a lack of permission, let's say, that you felt to be a certain way or was it just, uh, or maybe the opposite of like, well, I'm definitely getting the most praise for being a scholar and for being an athlete. And so I'm just gonna keep going back to that. Like that's, that's what seems to be generating the most for me. Or, or was it a combination of both? I could share a personal reflection if that would be helpful. Yeah, go for it. I, when I reflect back on my childhood, I have similar, I mean, I, I wouldn't describe myself as necessarily a go, go, go in terms of my energy as a communicator, but in terms of my physical presence, that was certainly me. I wanted to be outside playing sports all the time and loved to just run around. I had that boundless energy that you were discussing. And I also, if I can reflect back, always had that gentle, sensitive, sweet part of me that I don't know where in or when in time, it kind of got a little bit lost in the sauce because that wasn't something that was praised really as being a, a male, like, especially amongst my peers. I if anything, it was something that I was made fun of for being too nice or too soft or being, you know, more evocative words than that, a bitch, a pussy. Mm. And so that became something that I kind of tucked away. And then I just leaned hard on being a good athlete and being a good student and trying to traditionally mold myself into the person I thought I should be mm -hmm. was 
so for me, it was, there was a little bit of a push and pull. Like I didn't have to force myself to be an athlete. I just leaned really hard on that thing that I was good at and tucked away the thing that was also important to me, but just wasn't being praised. Was, was that something that was present for you? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a million ways to make meaning out of this, right? We're on the search for meaning <laughs> podcast. So I think we could, I mean, I, there's so much to see here from so many different angles, but what comes up for me is that like, I just become increasingly aware of the nuances of the cultural context that I was raised in and, and that we were raised in. I mean, you and I are roughly the same age, right? I mean, mm -hmm. And when I look back, I look at, I see very clearly my parents were doing the best they could with what they had. And I just have immense gratitude for them for <laughs> um, doing the best they could with what we have. I mean, in a way, that's what we're all doing all the time. It's just doing the best we can with what we have. And um, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I feel like there's a lot of encouragement culturally to perform, like mm -hmm. to be a certain, it's not like we go like, let's cultivate someone in their wholeness. Like this is, a, I have a lot of passion now for like celebrating all of who somebody is now, wholeness with a W, right? Like all of you is welcome. Let's become more fully the truth of, of who we are. It's taken me a while to unlearn the, the posturing and I still find myself doing it sometimes, the posturing or position, positioning, pretending, um, showing up in a certain way to get love, attention, praise, connection, care, whatever was attached to that as a, as a child. And so I, I, um, I guess what comes up for me is like, I, what I'm most excited about is like in present day reality, I feel like there's this big shift happening right now to where people are saying, let's explore the possibility of what would it be like to raise children in their essential wholeness. Yeah. I mean, like instead of having this prefixed model of like my kid needs to go to Harvard and become a doctor and get married and have kids. It's like, well, what does my, what does my kid want to be and how can I nurture that? and foster that and support it into its fullest expression. So I find that the parents in, in me are doing that for the child's children in me sometimes. It's like, oh, let's go find the kids who got tucked away in the back bedroom and didn't get fully integrated into the system, didn't get tended to, didn't get cared for. And let's see, what do they want? What gets them excited? How do they want to come out and play with, with the rest of the, of the collectives, of, of the, the rest of the collectives of forests? in me and uh for anyone who's familiar with parts work or anything like that uh who's <laughs> done any psychotherapy you're probably familiar with what i'm talking about um but that's that's the kind of reparenting process interiorly and and um yeah i mean some days i feel like oh man this is this is a lot of work like i had it rough and some days i look around and go man like i had the best upbringing ever thank goodness i only have this little bit of <laughs> healing work to do um so again it just kind of depends on perspective well, I, I think we've already arrived at the, the spot in the conversation that I want to spend the bulk of the time on, which is what, what, is it, what does it mean to be whole individually and, and collectively, really? Mm. And so you mentioned parts work. So I don't know if, if you want to just get, can you give like a brief explanation of, you were, you were mentioning that there's like, there's basically sub parts of yourself or like little forests within you. So for those who aren't completely familiar, could you just name what parts work is? And then, yeah, we'll, we'll go from there afterwards. Yeah. So most of the time parts work, um, there's when parts work comes up, I think of uh, Richard Schwartz and internal family systems. 
I've had some training in his modality, but my, um, the person who I've really learned from is Kim Barta uh, from Stages International. Um, and what Kim teaches and what I've learned is that inside of our persona, this, this guy I call Forrest, are all these other sub-personalities, these parts of our, these personas inside of personas, ego construct, e ego states inside of, a, of an ego state. And so what I find, um, gosh, it really depends on how I look at this, but what I'll say is that we have these different aspects of our consciousness, these different forms, these different forms of consciousness that arise in awareness. And so we can see uh, these different shapes, these different forms of consciousness. And then how do those, it, depending on kind of where you are in your development, like is at some point in our life, one of those is probably who I identify as is the concept of who I think I am. Mm -hmm. Right. That at some time there's like, Oh, that's me. I'm the achiever or I'm the cheerleader or I'm the husband. Like we have this part, this concept, this story of who we think we are and that's our identity. And then ultimately as we evolve at some point, we become aware that we're like, we're not just this role. We're a lot of roles. Like I am, uh, I don't know, a man and an entrepreneur and a, a husband or whatever, right? Like I have all these different uh, aspects of me. And so then we start to get into systems. Like how do these different aspects of, 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 of our consciousness interplay together? Like how are we, how are we all going to get along in uh -huh. here? <laughs> and so we need like, this gets to be later stage stuff. Like how do we create a complex self-adaptive system to where everybody's getting needs met and everybody's seeing each other from, from all the different angles. And we're starting to work together and collaborate and get on the same team. And what, what are, it can get more complex than that, but on the, the, on the simple side of it, what ultimately ends up happening is as more of these different parts of ourselves are coming online and getting into conversation with each other and getting more of their needs met and more of what they want integrated into the picture, then the different parts can start to dissolve and fade away because they're actually integrating into one consciousness. And so that we don't need all the different parts anymore to, we're not so fragmented, but what, where we were fragmented earlier, we can actually start to unify and integrate. And um, that can be a really beautiful, beautiful experience. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, the next thing I wanted to go into with you is just on the individual level first, what, what wholeness means to you? I mean, that's, that's a word that's come up with, with the W wholeness, what that means to you. And it sounds like, I mean, I've had the same experience. Parts work is one component of that, where if we, we take these seemingly disparate parts or needs, desires in ourselves, and they're maybe compartmentalized and if we're able to just integrate them and realize where I am all of those things, actually, I'm not just one or the other thing. Like I'm an athlete and I'm creative and I'm gentle and I have feminine energy and masculine energy, all of that. Mm -hmm. I might be answering the question already, but yeah. what is, what is uh, wholeness mean to you? And how has that kind of informed the way that you've dedicated yourself into your work and your life? And we can start there before we, before I open this too wide. Yeah. Um, what comes up for me in that question is that the wholeness that we actually are, I'm not sure I can describe in words. Yeah. The truth, the truth of what we all are is whole with a W <laughs> and, and I don't, 
I don't, I, I struggle with words sometimes to describe kind of the, the true, our true nature, right? It's words kind of fail in describing our, our true nature, but. Can I prompt you to maybe, instead of trying to describe it, maybe just an experience where you felt your most whole in recent memory that that could be an invitation into what it you know the descriptive words around that uh, or the story itself can invite people into like oh i've had i've had something like that in my life at some point or i i would like some of that maybe yeah um what comes up for me is a uh a story i've never shared before it was on a, a i did a journey with a shaman a couple of years ago this was um i mean this wasn't a psychedelic thing or anything like that it was just a consciousness journey so i don't know would that be interesting to hear about or would you hell yeah yeah i mean again words are going to be a little challenging here so i'm going to do the best i can but ultimately there i'm just going to cut to a moment in the journey instead of telling it mm -hmm. linearly mm -hmm. There was a moment in the journey where I was witnessing this vast network. It looked like a brain. I called it, I called it God's mind the first time I saw it. Now I call it the neural network of consciousness. And, and I, I would also call it like the cosmic whole, but the, this multiverse of perspectives, universes all of manifestation all all that all that is all that has been all that will be in this neural network of consciousness and experiencing my own individual awareness my own individual consciousness as this flicker of light in a vast ocean of I would just say the cosmic hole, like just this one little flicker of awareness in, in this luminous uh, ocean <laughs> of, of, um, of what we all are, maybe is how I would say it. And in that moment, I just had this feeling of being home with a capital H and whole with a capital W. And I just, it was like, I feel whole, I feel home, like, this, this right here, right now, like this is, this is, right? I don't know what else to say. Yeah. For me, it's, um, that is a, that was a peak experience. That was a, a moment unlike any other. And now it's pretty magical to see how often I can have that same feeling, um, even just in day-to-day -day interactions, sitting at the table or walking down the street or whatever, just that, it's like uh, ever since I've remembered it, I've never forgotten it again. Mm -hmm. I can touch back into that feeling. And, and it's we're, we're always whole. We're always home in every moment. It's just are we aware of it? Are we in contact with, with it? How do you help folks get in contact with it? I mean, in, in my experience, there's a, a lot of there still is. There's just so much cleaning up that needs to be done. And uh, I still catch myself all the time falling into roles of if I just, if I achieve this thing, then I'll feel even more whole. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear how you invite folks into that 
either as clients or it could just be yourself even like what what have you found helpful in remembering like we're already whole we're already home yeah i mean that's a beautiful question again a lot of a lot we could explore from a lot of angles but one of the things that's been really important in my journey to remembering wholeness is deepening into the feeling of everything being okay the way it is mm. and not needing anything to be different. Like just the more and more I play life, the more and more I become aware of the perfection of this moment. Yeah. Um, and I've spent a lot of my life wanting things to be different than they are or striving or fighting or resisting or there's just been a lot of different orientations I've taken to life and to other aspects of myself. And a lot of our world is kind of oriented like that. Like there's a lot of resistance and polarization. And what helps me is, is to just become aware that like right here, right now, in this moment, everything's perfect. And that's a, a reminder that I connect to oftentimes. And the reason I'm like catching myself is that I don't, it's tricky because in a way we got to also be okay with the parts of ourselves that don't feel like everything's perfect. And so there's this dance of like, we're not going to like spiritually bypass or gaslight or, or wash out opinions of us that really want something to change. And so it's, it depends what pers perspective we're coming from. I mean, when I was a little kid and I wanted an ice cream cone and I couldn't get one, there was something really wrong <laughs> with reality. Like something was broken and I needed to fix it. I needed that ice cream. And so for the little kids in me who feel something like that, I, I want to honor that and, and get curious on where the impulse is coming from and better understand them and welcome them in with unconditional love and presence and, and see what, what they need and how they can get their needs met. And then as we do that more and more, we become in touch more fully with the aspect of ourselves that can be with everything as it is without needing it to be any different. Mm. And that doesn't mean that we just uh, start using that as an excuse to dismiss all the other perspectives, right? We want to honor every perspective at every developmental level. And that's part of seeing the perfection too. Yeah. This might not be, it's just a curiosity of mine that's coming up. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but do you have a result or outcome that you've been chasing in your life that uh, you were you were throwing a lot of your energy into? And then when you kind of just like let go and said, you know, ev everything is actually fine the way it is. I don't need this outcome to be whole. Something else emerged that was far greater than whatever you thought you were chasing in the first place. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for sure. But I, I guess what comes up for me in that question is also like, I think the one thing I want to add too is that it's really awesome to be able to perceive, like to be able to witness the perfection of everything and to know that we can change things. Yeah. And it's, it's, there becomes a point when we can do that from a place that's kind of detached in a way that's not bound up in what we want to create. And we can do it a lot more functionally from, from this place. Um, but I also like, I, I really like seeing the perfection, everything, and also knowing that we can, we can change things. We can change the experience we're having for ourselves, the experience others are having, the experience consciousness itself that's happening. Like, like we have action, we have agency as that little flicker of light of awareness. So like seeing the perfection and knowing we have agency from a place that's not bound up in what we're creating, like able to create without, uh, attachment without 
constriction in it or being defined by it. Um, that's a lot of fun. That really unleashes like boundless creativity. And yeah, I mean, to your question, I guess like in my life and when I was bound up in the, in certain parts that wanted certain things, I was, I was, I was defined by what, like I was defined by the, the form of consciousness that I was identifying as. And so ultimately shifting from the form to the actual awareness that the form arises out of and falls back into as an identity that creates a lot of freedom that creates a lot of liberation aliveness and <laughs> vivaciousness in, in life experience so yeah i would say that uh there was definitely a time a few years ago when i really just let go of and there still happens this still happens where i find little places where i'm defined by something i've created but um there was a there was a time when i really let go of all that I thought that I was and then became aware of what I like, what we really are. Mm -hmm. Well, this isn't what I would normally do in an interview, but we kind of, before, before we actually started recording this conversation, we co-created an agenda, let's say, or a, a list of things that we wanted to go over. So what feels most alive for you right now in terms of an area that you'd want to explore and unpack a little bit more like one that feels kind of alive for me that we've named a little bit is achieve consciousness versus uh post-conventional consciousness but is there something is there an area that you feel more compelled to go i love that exploration i love that exploration i feel like personally over the years i've been in a big shift and collectively i feel like we're in a big shift right now in terms of i call it the fuel the fuel like what sources how we take action in the world yeah. And so conventionally, the way I was raised, I was raised in like hustle culture, grind, work hard, push through the pain, right? Like I was an athlete. I had a hardcore, like suffer through the consequences, like get it done kind of mentality. And um, collectively, I, 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 my experience is a lot of us are starting to look, look around at, at this um, industrial revolution consciousness of bigger, better, faster, harder, stronger, and going like, wait a minute we're wanting to go more and more efficiently. We're wanting to go more and more, like we're wanting to go faster and faster and faster, but where, right? Like, where are we going that we it's trying to get to so much faster than we were yesterday? Where are we going? And also like, what is our, let's challenge the claim or the assumption underneath that, that wherever we're claiming we're going to get to is better than where we already are now. Mm. And there's a, there's a profound, I don't know if everybody's aware of it yet, but there's a profound awareness coming into the collective in my experience of like, where are we trying to get to so fast? And what's the claim that that's going to be better than here? And for me, the more and more we come in contact with our essential wholeness and that perfection of this moment, a new kind of fuel comes online that sources our action and agency in the world. And it feels a lot more like joy and spontaneous genius and flow and playfulness and aliveness and vibrant freedom and um vivaciousness it's like the the juice and the zest of life the just the the freedom and passion of, of being fully alive in this moment and there's this this impulse that's beyond there's this impulse that comes uh, who knows like where, where this impulse comes from is something we could get curious around but this impulse that actually leads and invites action in a way that's not constructed it's not like it's coming, it's coming from a different place. And so for me, like at some point we, we get so exhausted pushing through all the resistance and everything. We can actually 
surrender into and give way to a different way of being, um, which feels a lot more like regenerative. So yeah, that's what comes up for me in that question. I, I really love this topic. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to share my reflection. I mean, this is based on the way that I filter the world. This is kind of how I see or experience what you're saying. There is, there's a notion in a lot of cultures and particularly in America and, and Western civilizations that if we get whatever it is, it can be enough money or enough power, fame, relationships, whatever it is, like whatever it is out there, then we will be able to cultivate that state of wholeness or inner peace or just absolute complete fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And it's, but it's something out there, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the, what I hear you saying is that it is already, it's already right here, right now. And if we are able to tap into that and flip, go into the exact inverse and try and create whatever it is that we want to create from that place, then whew, like we're already tapped into our potential and we're, we're not pushing towards something We're we're generating instead of pushing is what I hear you saying. I love the word generating. And I also, I love getting that reflected back to me because there's also this kind of paradoxical, like I've, I have personally in my journey found it really important to allow each ego state to want what it wants. Mm. The little kid in me who wants the ice cream cone, I don't sit as some like enlightened forest and sit there and go, no, little kid, you don't need an ice cream cone. Everything's perfect. It's like, no, actually that's, that like we want the the fight like let each ego state wants what it wants like if you want a girlfriend or a job promotion or an ice cream cone it's like allowing each ego state to want what it wants and get what it wants while at the same time the more we do that there's like this dissolution right we talked about the integration or the dissolving of these concepts of who we think we are back into the field and then from there we're creating from a different place we're creating in this moment we're creating as the evolutionary impulse like we're creating as the embodied agent of the evolutionary process and so it's it's a totally different vibration it's a totally different orientation to life it's like i guess i'm in a question of like do i ever act from trying to make anything better that doesn't usually get be very effective to me of trying to fix things or make anything better it's more like the action is coming from enjoyment and play and like flow it's just I mean, if anybody's ever had a flow state before, whether you're playing a sport or a musical instrument or um, in a conversation with someone you're in love with, like you can just, uh, time flies in the timeless, right? Like we just get into the, we just get fully let go of the construct of time. We're just in the eternal now. And then we're, <laughs> we're just having a great time without even, we're just purely in flow without any, uh, any, any idea of how long we've been in the space or, or in the moment, I mean, um, and ultimately we can, we can do that more and more and more. Like we can let go and just be in, like I oftentimes kind of joke with people of like, is it ever not now? <laughs> right. And it's like, and it's like the more and more we live here now in this place, like, and are not trying to get somewhere else to me, the more like life enjoyment we have, but it's, there is that nuance of like letting the parts of me that want to be somewhere else or have something different than they are feel that way and kind of get what they want. So, Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, two, two responses to that far so one have you ever read the book pleasure activism mm -mm, no. or heard of it no it, it's by adrian marie brown and 
I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm really grossly oversimplifying the book, but there is very popular today is activism where we are as activists reacting to something from a place mm -hmm. of uh, being triggered or I don't yeah. know, hate, hate's a strong word, but we're ostensibly we're trying to promote some sort of positive social change or justice in the world, but doing it from a place of that person is causing it and like, fuck that person. Yeah. And it invites us to like, not to ignore that there are things that want to be changed in the world, but rather to be with like, what would be, a, what would be a pleasurable or enjoyful way for me to like, how can I do this from love is really that it sounds like it, I could sound like a hippie right now, but it's like, how could I, how could I do this from my heart instead of reacting to like that person out there is at fault and they're the cause of all this. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's a whole lot more to the book, but like that was one of the takeaways that's pertinent to the conversation that we're having right now. Another uh, reflection that I have, and this might lead into a question is this, idea of we're always right here in this moment right now sometimes for me i i find myself getting very frustrated by that realization of like, <laughs> i get that i know i know like there's something great about this moment but i'm not i'm not fucking seeing it and some of my most profound shifts or insights have come from me instead of reacting to that and like typing in Instagram or typing in LinkedIn or running to the kitchen and, and getting an apple or calling a friend or whatever it is have been from just like, just noticing whatever's present in my thoughts and in my body in that moment while I'm bored, like doing a spreadsheet or something and just being with that moment and just noticing it. Mm -hmm. And from that place, it's like, well, everything could possibly be beautiful if I just like, depending on the, the lens that I have on and the projector that's going on in my mind, it's like, I could look outside and everything's beautiful. <laughs> and this white paint, this, this plain white paint on my wall is just gorgeous. And so the question that this leads into for me would be like, do you have daily practices around how to cultivate that? Are there, are there trip wires that you still find yourself getting caught on in terms of like you you know that the present moment is everything but you're also like just looking out into the future to like one day this blah 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 yeah yeah i mean i i personally i feel like it's functional it's useful to have a vision of a more beautiful world we can all live in for the future i uh i i wouldn't sit around and not enjoy this moment and say i'll, I'll be happy only when you know, that heaven on earth comes into reality, but I, I do find it pretty useful to have a vision for the future. That's a helpful construct. Um, what comes up for me here in these questions is what we're getting into here is like shadow work, right? Mm -hmm. It's working with unconscious aspects of ourselves. Shadow is unconscious. It's unconscious aspects of ourself playing out in our life experience. And so in the first example, the activism example, right? Like our enemies are our best teachers, right? Because, because the question is like, as I'm claiming that you're the worst person, and I'm projecting all of this stuff onto you that you're evil and that you don't care and that you're whatever, right? It's like, well, well, that's my projection onto you. So where is, where is everything that I'm saying you are living me? 
Mm. Right. So what I do is I get out a piece of paper and I say, Hey, asshole, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, whoever it is that I claim is the worst in the world. Like here are all the things you do that trigger me. And I write down each one. You're so insensitive. You don't listen to anybody. You're so hard headed. Uh, you're so stubborn. Like you're demeaning and degrading, blah, blah, like love forest. And then I go and cross out asshole and I write forest and I read back that letter and find where every single one of those things I just projected onto the other person lives in me. And that's how we take, that's how we see our enemies as our greatest teacher and find that which we won't take ownership over and responsibility ship that we won't take ownership and responsibility for. And, and since we can't see it in ourselves, we project it out on the world and on others to see it better. Uh, we can actually reclaim that projection and then, um, start to, to do the work better. So ultimately, if we really want to be good activists and we're getting really triggered by people out in the world, do the shadow work, reclaim your projection and do the shadow work to resolve the conflict internally. And then you'll be able to move through the world without getting triggered and, and creating more of that which, which we're trying to resolve by doing activism work. So the, like the ultimate activism work is to, to if, you're, if you're feeling triggered by somebody, to, to figure out what it's touching in you and work that out so then you can move through the world from a more peaceful, present, loving, com compassionate place, mm -hmm. right? And then, on, and then on the other piece, you know, you were talking about like feeling like an aspect, a, 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 an ego construct, an ego state, feeling like, oh, I don't see the beauty in this moment, right? And, and then wanting to, to, to do something to, to, to get away from, from the moment, whether it's like go on Instagram or, or eat an apple or call someone or none or whatever. And, and so the question for me is like, well, what am I, what's, where is that impulse coming from? Right? Like, what am I, the way I would make meaning out of it is like, what am I trying to get away from? And then ultimately, like to see those two different aspects or maybe more aspects of myself inside of, of, of my inside of me and, and, and to start to work with them um, opens up new possibilities to where I can be more fully present with what's happening. So, yeah, that's it. I, we're getting into kind of shadow work stuff here, which is definitely a big passion for me. Yeah. Could, could you speak more into what shadow work is? And I don't know if you have any mentors teachers, practitioners who have helped you maybe start to cozy up to your shadows and, and be able to like have those practices. But yeah, could you just speak more about shadow work and what it looks like in your life? Yeah, totally. So um, shadow is, is pretty simply just our unconscious, like what unconscious aspects of ourself playing out in our life experience. That can be a lot of things that can, that can just be something we took on as a kid. It's not a, it's not actually true for us. It can be like the projection I was talking about earlier, projecting onto the world. It could be splits inside of us. One part of me wants to go on a day. One part of me knows I need to study, right? Like, but I might not be aware of, of half of that. But yeah, shadow, shadow is, is unconscious aspects playing out in our life experience. And my biggest mentor in shadow work has been Kim Barda, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, and I really appreciate his orientation because he's, his, his, uh, psychotherapy approaches informed by shamanism. And so actually, if you look back at shamanism, um, they tens of thousands of years ago had a much more powerful form of psychotherapy and, and, and being able to do psychosomatic healing um, that now psychotherapy is just starting to catch up to in modern day, in modern day, in the modern day world. And so I've really been privileged to learn from him and learn with him. And, and actually we, we are working together now. We have this shadow and light journey together 
um, that includes the depth work and the healing work and the shadow work with also the, the awakening work. And uh, my passion for um, shadow work comes from, to me, shadow work is really how we become more fully who we are. I mean, when we talk about wholeness, it's like um, including all the aspects of myself that have been out of my uh, awareness or out of the, or have been disallowed <laughs> or disowned or repressed or traumatized, right? Like um, there's a lot of different ways that we can, a lot of different things can create shadow. But the more and more that those come into the light and get and come to resolution, there's different kinds of resolution. But as they come to resolution, we, 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 I, I, my experience has been, uh, I just feel so much more whole and at peace and able to just be here now. So, yeah, I, I, to me, shadow work is, is so liberating. <laughs> yeah. Is there a part of yourself that, you had the most resistance to that it might it might have taken a while for you to open yourself up to this part of yourself and i would love to hear I, i'll i'll share again on, on my side a lot of my parts are protector parts meaning that they have been constructed to achieve something so that this other part of myself wouldn't have to be known in in the world it's just something that i've tucked away we, we would call it an exiled part in internal family systems. One part of myself that I have really tucked away is this, it's like the six-year-old in me that is awkward and wants to just like kind of sit in the corner of the room and like is kind of flailing away in a social interaction, like has, has no idea what he's doing, but he's, he's like this really gentle, sweet, like he loves people, but doesn't really know what he's doing when he's with people. And a lot of my work continues to just be around getting my protector parts to see like this, this little boy, this six-year-old Michael, he's okay. We don't need him to just be a little bit smarter or a little bit more charming or whatever it is. Like mm -hmm. he's just, he just is, he's, he's perfect the way that he is. And typically in the right setting, I'm there. And I there's still lots of work to be done because in most social situations, you know, my my parts are are showing up and I'm the the mask, the mask on version of myself or my work self or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Is there a part of yourself that feels like it's been the most tucked away that you're maybe still doing the most work on or or at one point that was the case? Um, I mean, I definitely resonate with, with your share there. Um, certainly historically I've had parts and maybe still now I, it's not coming up as much in this moment, but yeah, like having little kids in me who were not being seen by other parts of me, the hardest, the hardest parts of me to work out the hardest shadow work for me to stumble upon was I had, I did some, some, I, I, I went through uh, my body in shadow work to find there were some um, newborn babies that were essentially like, I relived experiences of being in a crib crying and nobody coming to take care of me. And, um, you know, when we're a newborn baby, we have no concept of time. So being a newborn baby, 
lying in a crib crying out for attention and not getting it. I'm in the eternity of being alone. And, and that part of me, that newborn child in me, and I'm just present to like, this could be triggering for people listening. So I'm, I'm feeling a lot of tenderness and care right now, but um, that, that part of me felt like the world was a cold, dark, scary, unwelcoming place. And I walked around with that for the first 25 years of my life, mm. 26, 26, 27 years of my life without having really done shadow work. I just walked around the world feeling like on some level, an aspect of me, like sometimes you feel like the world, world's warm and welcome and great, but there was always this to newborn toddler in me who felt like the world's a cold, dark, scary place. And the challenge with, with finding that was, you know, I would have these like crashes sometimes, like I'd be on some really big health kick and I'd be working out and eating super healthy. And all of a sudden I'm like eating two tubs of ice cream or like drinking a case of beer or something like out of nowhere. And I'm like, where is this behavior coming from? You know? And ultimately what I found out is for that, like, first of all, finding the toddler in me took some, a really skilled practitioner to help me get in contact with it. Because the thing that's maddening is I couldn't find it. There was no logical finding that part of me because there's no memory. There's no memory when we're a newborn baby, the body remembers. But we don't have we don't have a uh, in a, a logical brain. I mean, we don't even get a concept of time until we're like eight years old. So there was no rationally linguistic mind way to logically think through what was going on. It was just in my body. And then I found the, these newborn babies in me, and and you know the impulse immediately was like to pick the baby up and to rock it. And all of a sudden, it was like I had never felt as much peace in my body as I did in that moment. Like this kid who was in me screaming for 27 years all of a sudden got the attention it needed and what i became aware of is that for a newborn baby attention is a survival need and so for the newborn to me it's like hey if you're not going to give me good attention you're going to give me bad attention and we're going to be eating ice cream and doing all these things because i'm going to get some sort of attention yeah i'm really i feel super tender right now sharing this but i i just i share that because I feel like oftentimes, like I really used to beat myself up a lot. Like I would like be working out hard and eating clean and then I'd have a crash. I would crash. My awareness would go into that earlier developmental baby and I would eat a tub of ice cream or something, for example. And I wouldn't have known what was happening. The next day I kind of recommit to all my goals and I'm like, I'm going to work out twice as hard now and I'm going to do all these yeah. things. And then that would go for a while and then I'd crash again. And, um, Maybe in sharing this, if anybody's having the same experience, I just like, my experience was ultimately, there was a lot more going on underneath the surface and I have a lot more compassion mm. for the process that was happening for me right now, because without a really skilled practitioner, and I, I, I mean, I'm sure I could have found it on my own, but I really was fortunate to have a really skilled practitioner help me find these lost parts of myself and bring them, bring them back into the fold and get them what they needed, right? To, to have another more resourced part of me pick that child up that was crying and feeling alone and cuddle it and, and to help it feel loved and warmed and warm then all of a sudden the parent and the child dissolve and I just feel more essentially whole and, and fundamentally okay mm. right and, and so that was that was some really challenging shadow work because I don't I don't I don't I couldn't I don't think I could have figured it out I might have been able to resolve it if I stopped trying to figure it out or something but I was really, really grateful to have some help. I was really grateful to have somebody who could mm. guide me into, into resolving that. Was there a somatic practice that, that helped 
uh, get you there was, yeah, what was, what was the practitioner that you worked with so adept at that, that helped you to come to that realization? Well, you know, we store shadow in our bodies. And so if I remember correctly, it was like, there was like, a, I remember kind of like where, you know, he kind of asked, where do you feel that in your body? And then where it was, I think it was in my belly. I took my awareness into that. And then when I dove, there's like a dive I did deep down into the abyss. And at the bottom of it, I, I just was in this scene of the child still sitting in the room and I'm just looking at the baby crying. And then it's like, well, what's your impulse seeing the baby crying? It's like, pick it up and hold it and cuddle it. And then it was like that scene that had been sitting there in perpetuity kind of playing all of a sudden came to resolution. And then like, then all of a sudden it's like, coming up out of the depths, but that hole not being there anymore, something like that, like that fold in space-time, unforming, resolving, uh, dissolving. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Man, I, I certainly, the part of me that I already named can relate to that part, and I'm noticing... I have a similar reaction to uh, a lack of attention, let's say, or, or a story that I'm not getting the attention that I want. And one thing that's, that's been really present, and I've, I've spoken about this a lot with my wife, is when I'm with her and she's on her phone, I can get very reactive very quickly. Like I, I get into all sorts of defensive, angry postures around that. And... Yeah, I'm wondering, there, there's clearly more work to be done there. And I'm going to note, I'm just making a kind of a note of that for myself is, is that something to explore? And uh, I love the, the willingness to go there. And I, I think that's going to be of service to uh, all my listeners who I'm sure have some sort of similar experience. So thanks. Thank you for, for naming that and for going there. I wanted to segue from here into vision which is something that you brought up and holding that space for we we've already covered a decent amount of ground now on what it means to be whole and to really embrace the beauty of this moment and i would love to talk about vision and like what's what's the greater world that you're excited to be part of the creation of right now yeah, thanks. Um, and I'm just having a, uh, a lot of appreciation for you and your, what I, exp I experience you as courageous and vulnerable sharing what you've shared around your parts and, and the work that you're up to and just feel a lot of appreciation for you sharing and also for the space to share. So thanks. And that's, that's a great segue uh, into the world that I am excited to be a part of and, and am a part of and helping to create um, which is uh, to me a, a, a world where we all feel safe to be all of who we are. Yeah, I've got, um, I, I often invite people to notice that right here, right now, today, we could, basic survival needs could be met for every human being on planet earth. Like we're not lacking resources or technology or anything. It's just the systems that we have built on planet earth are oriented towards different outcomes. And so if we shifted to a different vision, a different outcome of basic survival needs being met for every human being, um, some really exciting possibilities and, and transformations uh, become, become 
evident to me have become possible. I mean, first of all, a lot of us spend a lot of our time working to meet our basic needs. And so with basic needs being met, um, the, a big question is what would we do with our time? And I don't know the full extent of that answer, but some things that do seem to be evident to me are that we would pursue our passions and cultivate our, com- our competencies, our, our curious, we would cultivate our curiosities and our competencies, and we would actualize our essence. We would become the more embodied uh, uh, expression of the truth of who we are as like a, a, a human potential experiment, right? It really starts to go from like a survival-based consciousness to really like, what are we capable of, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and so for me, um, like inviting people into that possibility, I don't, I don't feel like I need to solve that. I just feel like the more of us become aware that um, basic survival needs can be met for every human being, then the more we can kind of de- in a decentralized organic way can, can emerge that collectively. If we're sh- holding that in shared awareness, we can collectively emerge that together. And then I just, I, for me, human potential is a huge question mark. I don't know if there's a bound on what we're capable of. And for me, like curiosity is the engine of learning. So if we're cultivating our curiosities and pursuing our passions, we're all going to be lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be on the lifelong evolutionary developmental growth trajectory. And so for me, like it, it just gets really exciting around. And I'm also holding simultaneously that there's a lot of, there's kind of the light side of this and the shadow side of this. So the light side is the human potential and what are we capable of and the freedom and the aliveness and pursuing our passions and cultivating our curiosity. The shadow is that um, oftentimes as we're opening up into that potential, right? We talked about shadow being unconscious aspects of ourselves playing out in our life experience. Well, as we become bigger and more expansive, we become aware of more unconscious aspects of ourselves that are playing out our experience. So there's also, I mean, if it's not evident to everyone by now, there's a huge collective trauma work process happening right now where it's so evident that you know, at some point in our personal development and what's become true for us as a species is that the, the, the nourishment for our continued evolution is through all the wounds that we haven't like and, and traumas, whatever I define trauma as residual residue. Like when we have an experience and we couldn't be fully present with the experience when it was happening, that um, those m- moments that are frozen in space and time, those calcifications or dehydrated structures in the fabric of consciousness are where if we can, uh, if, if and when those are resolved, we are more liberated into the, the potential that we all are, into more, into more fully who we all are. And so there's, there's like this vision of a creative world of basic survival needs being met and us pursuing our passions and becoming an interplanetary species and exploring space, inner and outer, and healing our planet, cultivating intuitive gifts and mystical capacities. And, you know, who knows what we're capable of truly, like who knows? And at the same time, the path for me, like I often say, every wound is a wound, like the path into that new world is to go through, is to do the depth process, depth process and do the healing work to, to fully, to grow up in a healthy way, right? We have hundreds of thousands of years of human history and a lot of it's been pretty traumatizing. Mm-hmm. genocide and war and colonization and human trafficking. I mean, there's been all, there's been uh, all kinds of traumas and, and um, the Holocaust. I mean, the, the part of us being able to grow into our potential in a healthy way is 
for us to now as a species and as individuals and in our collectives to look back and say, what, what do we need to tend to? What is it that's kind of underneath the surface bubbling up that wants to be seen and heard and loved and integrated? Maybe it's the little toddler in us who didn't get the attention that it needed. And then how can we cultivate higher levels of compassion and, and presence to, to be more fully with the whole trajectory of evolution that got us to this moment and, and, and allow that to inform the emerging future in a, in a more, in a healthier way. And so actually you can look at time as like past coming up to this moment and then going to the future. But more and more, I kind of see the past and the future coming together. Uh, and nobody's going to be able to see my hands on an audio recording, but um, instead of a linear trajectory of I was in the past, now I'm in the present and I will be in the future. It's more that I'm sitting here in this eternal now, in this moment, and the past and the future are emerging out of this moment. The past and the future are happening right now, right? And so the, the unintegrated past and the, and the futures that it creates as unintegrated can come, the more we welcome those into the present moment experience, the more we can emerge a new future out of, out of a deeper quality and more inclusive level of presence. Hmm. Do you ever have this conversation with, we'll say, friends, peers, colleagues that are not like you might say this to them and they would look at you like you have eight heads like all the time all the time all the time so yeah. what yeah how do you go because i experience you as someone who would be able you would look at that as like a let me actually uh let me see if i can explain this to you in a way that makes sense to you like i experience you as someone who'd be patient enough to to go there or if, if they're in any way curious about it, then, then you would be able to be with them. One of the things that I have, like, I love exploring this with you and there's a part of me that's tracking, like, man, if I brought this into conversation with my friends, they'd be like, what the fuck is he talking about right now? He's, he's actually losing his mind. I'm, I'm worried for his sanity. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious how you, uh, how you bring that into those types of conversations. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, there's a saying, and there's the saying in the world of like meet people where they're at. I mean, I, I'm talking to you this way. I wouldn't talk to a five-year-old like this. They would, you know what I mean? You, you go hang out. When I hang out with five-year-olds, I roll around <laughs> on the ground and play tag and, and like, you know, it's a different life experience. So, I'm sharing this with you because yes. this is some of what you and I explore and get, get yeah. passionate about and, and enjoy hanging out in. And I'm finding more and more and more that folks are interested in this kind of inquiry. Um, but I'm also like, I, I really enjoy experiencing how other people make meaning out of life and are experiencing things. So I, I sometimes I can get a little narcissistic and a little like, oh yeah, like this is my view of the world and everybody needs to conform to that view because I am so freaking important that like that's the right way to view things. And, and I, I find I don't enjoy life as much when I'm oriented from that place. And when I, I mean, having compassion for that perspective in me and also going like, hey, like there's a lot of different perspectives to take and they're pretty cool to, to see the world, to attempt to see the world through others' eyes and through different perspectives. Um, that brings a more... I don't know, more robust life experience online. So I don't know. Is that useful? Is that helpful? Absolutely. It's, I mean, it, it can be tried to just say the words, just meet people 
where they are, but yeah. the the more color that you gave into it, it's absolutely true. I mean, I've I've had just so many conversations about me holding tightly the way that I see the world as the right way. And like, if only everyone saw the way the world, the way that I'm seeing it right now, like this world would be a, a really, it's, I know it's great. I know it's a good place right now. I get that. But like, it, it would be like the best possible if everyone just saw it my way. If everyone ate the way that I eat. If everyone related to others the way I do, like I've got it figured out. People just need to listen to me. Yeah. And that is much to many people's surprise, not usually very effective. <laughs> and yeah. when I can hold the space for, this is what lights me up and I'm going to go for that even if other people might think that's crazy. And the fact that they are where they are is beautiful too. Mm-hmm. And I, I am, in a, in a way, it's like I am where everyone is anyway, right? I mean, I'm starting to speak in a, a way that might be a little bit out there for folks. But if I really can presence myself, I am able to identify with where anyone is at in any given moment. And it, given, given any number of circumstances, if I'm triggered a certain way, I can go right back into that type of uh, behavior or thought pattern really easily too. And so it's this beautiful, what emerges is, yeah, this like, I'm able to identify with it, with everyone and everything at exactly as it is and not trying to change it. So that's, that's what came up for me as you <laughs> described it. Yeah, that uh, it reminds me of that neural network of consciousness, like this vast web of perspectives taking, and we are that. that from one perspective, we are all those perspectives. Yeah, <laughs> depends on how you look at it. But now I'm just kind of playing with words. Yeah. Well, another thing that before we dove into the conversation, we spoke about exploring was this idea of like what is possible through me. Instead of it being this, uh, this efforting thing that I need to do or that anyone needs to do to get something done, like what if I allowed whatever it is to just go through me? What if I allowed my life to be th- through me and not to me or by me or whatever other language you want to use? And I, I would love to hear, again, we've already gone a little bit out there in the way that we're languaging things, but what does that mean? Like what does through me mean in the lay terms and then what do you, like what do you feel is possible from that place yeah i mean i noticed like a little dance party in me as you asked this question it's like wow this feels really fun i think when we were talking about this what was coming up for me is like oftentimes as i'm orienting in the world i look at myself like if you take humanity for example we've got what eight billion people on planet earth right now something like that and so sometimes i look at humanity as a as a super organism and I go, wow, as, as, as this human being, I am one cell out of 8 billion cells in a larger body of humanity, mm-hmm. right? And then you can extend that out. I mean, you could do that and include all of life. You can do that, include the planet um, itself. You can do that and include the entire universe and the cosmic whole, right? And, and so for me, um, I find a lot of truth in that, actually, like a being that that the eye is not the eye is not separate from the larger interconnected whole, and so as I, I use this metaphor of like as I go from being the puzzle piece to the puzzle, <laughs> right? 
there's this question that often comes up in me of like, what can we do through me? Mm-hmm. And right now I, I spend a lot of time. It's not really like thinking so much as much as it is a deep level of listening almost through my body or like kind of with my awareness and my body of like, what is it that I, how am I called to serve the larger whole right now? Right? Like what does the, like, if you think about our bodies, our physical bodies, like a lot, like there's a lot of conversation going on between different parts, you know? And, and for me, as I connect to the larger whole, there is a felt sense of like a calling. Like I, it's, I'm feeling called to here. I can be of service of here. Like the, the whole needs this. And it's not so much like, I don't spend a ton of time like trying to logically figure it out, but there's a feeling. There's a real feeling of, of like a pull, of a calling, of a, an animating, energetic impulse that the more and more we attune to that and let it inform the way we move through the world, the more I find we're kind of led, led through life and life, life leads us, life acts through us. Yeah, I'll say that for now. How's that? Yeah, yeah. I, there's a couple of things that are, that are coming up for me. So... This could sound really grandiose and and big. And so there's like one thing I wanted to name is something as simple as singing a song to your family or something that could just that could be a a very much a through me or we'll call Mm -hmm. it maybe a flow state Mm -hmm. type of experience where it's not you're you're not stuck in your mind or thinking all sorts of different thoughts about like, how is this person going to perceive this? Or what is this? uh, You know, are they going to laugh at me? Whatever. Like you're just there in the moment. And I think art and good films, among other things, good music, all have a way of tapping into that human part of us in a way that language sometimes isn't capable of doing. So there's like there's the component of it's not just about changing the world or like you know creating creating this huge uh vision or whatever it is like i think we all it's accessible to everyone i know i know that it is i know that you know that it is one that's one of the things that came up for me another one that's less tangible. And now people might go, Oh, this is Mike that has eight heads. We had Mike just now that made a lot of sense. And now here's eight headed Mike, but here I am. Another thing that came up for me was so in parts work, there's like looking at us, the individual body that we are as a collective of different sub parts. And so, you know, there might be like, an achiever there might be a a skeptic there might be someone who's a people pleaser whatever like those are very familiar parts that roles that a lot of us can identify with that there's an integration within our self as one body that can be really transformational and like that's always where i would invite people to start and what i hear you speaking of is that if you're plugged in enough to that, then you realize like I'm an integrated self with 8 million other selves. And like, even, even more than that, like it's more than just humanity. There's like, there's life force everywhere. And like, we're all created from the same thing. And Mm -hmm. whether or not we believe in God, like, I think we all can sense that there's something bigger than us out there that can't, 
be figured out by our brain. No matter how hard we try to figure out everything, it just is there. And again, like music and art can really tap into that and movies. And uh, it can be really terrifying in my experience or it can be really liberating to realize like, wow, like we're so connected. We're every, everything is connected. And there's like a, a oneness that might emerge of like that person out there that I'm blaming and that I think is different than me and that I have all these grievances against like we're actually we're one in the same and this isn't you didn't really bring this into the conversation necessarily but if I can presence myself to someone that I have lots of judgments against like Donald Trump is is a big part of my if I'm if I'm doing some sort of loving kindness practice it's like think of someone that you love and then think of someone you're neutral and then think of someone you hate it's like all right hey Donald good to see you again I, if I'm able to really just presence myself to like, he's, he is actually, I'm going to be careful with this. I don't, I don't want to put words into his mouth and saying that he's doing the best he can with what he's got, but I can really tap into the, like, he's probably living a life that was expected of him in some way. And is like, we all do that some degree we're all living a life that was expected of us his happened happened to be very destructive in a lot of ways but if i'm really present i can really i could tap into like he's he was a boy at one time and he didn't get what he needed and i wish it he did and i wish everyone did and we're we can all relate to that so yeah that's that's what came up for me those were a few of the thoughts of, of the many that came up as, as you were speaking about that. Yeah, I've heard some developmental evolutionary shadow informed perspectives on Trump's upbringing and stuff. But I actually have more energy around what you were sharing initially, which is uh, at some point in our development, if we hit, um, oftentimes when people hit fifth person perspective, um, a fourth person perspective is when we really get into parts work and doing internal family systems and um, this kind of stuff. But oftentimes what happens when people hit fifth person perspective is you can look at like humanity and every single person uh, as a part of you. Mm-hmm. It's like all of a sudden what was before internal parts inside of this human being I call forest. Now all the human beings on planet earth are parts inside of me as conscious awareness. Right. And so there's, um, yeah, there's a diff- there's a, there's a different orientation that comes online which is why it's really important for us to do healthy developmental work as we're growing. But yeah, it's, it, uh, I, I, I guess I, I oftentimes say we, we see the world as we see ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the universe is a pretty beautiful mirror. Yeah. It's, it's ultimately right. Like we, one of the best things that we can do as any human being is become aware that we manufacture our triggers. Mm-hmm. Right. If I get triggered by something, I am manufacturing my trigger. Yeah. No, there's there's an event that happens in reality, and then I am manufacturing whatever the trigger is in response to that. And so when we become aware of that, it's actually super empowering because we can see where is that coming from, what's the root of it, and resolve it inside of us. And then the same event can happen again, and it's not triggering anymore because we've actually worked through it all the way through. We've worked through it to resolution. And so um, even if we have 
even if we have an awareness that of, let's say we're at fifth person perspective, that doesn't mean we're done with shadow work. Everybody's got shadow. <laughs> like, I don't know if I've ever met a human being without shadow. I got plenty. So, <laughs> you know, as we walk through the world, we meet somebody and they trigger us and, and then we're not, we're crashing. We're not coming from that place of, oh, you're just another expression of me inside of me. It's like, no, you're a jerk. And I'm angry. <laughs> right. And so, and so there can actually be this, this passion that comes online with that of, um, uh, like sometimes I'll, I'll jokingly say like, thank you for triggering me because mm. it's like, you're helping me become aware of where I'm pretending to be something I'm not, or you're helping me become aware. Like that is my signpost for the next iteration of my liberation. That's the next, you just gave me the clear indicator to where I can, I can dive to the root and then further free and liberate and, and open myself up to, to the truth of who I am more fully as opposed to like, that's your fault and uh-huh. you need to change, blah, blah, blah. And I still try and do that sometimes. So yeah. don't, uh, <laughs> let's not pretend like that doesn't happen. Um, but then ultimately becoming aware that it's a way more empowering and fun path when it's like, okay, I see that that was triggering. I know I manufactured that. Let me see if I can get to the root of it and resolve it. And then I don't even need you to be any different because now you can do that same exact thing and it's not going to trigger me. Yeah. That's really, really juicy. Mm-hmm. There's... Well, before before I share my reflection, could you name what first person, second person, and third person perspective w- would be? We talked about fourth and fifth there. Yeah, so first person perspective is um, when we come into when we when we're first born into the world, we are that we we are the center of the universe, mm-hmm. right? First person perspective is like I'm looking around. When we're a newborn kid, we don't even know there are other people, right? Like truly, it's just, we are looking at the world and we are the center of the universe and it's my world and you're just in it. <laughs> and then it's, at some point in, in childhood, we switch and you can see this with little kids, like, like, uh, you know, a little kid who's in first person perspective thinks if they put their hands over their eyes that you can't see them mm-hmm. because they can't see you. Mm-hmm. I'm, wa- I, I'm, I'm wanting to check if that's first person or second person perspective. Now don't quote me on this. Um, all right. First person perspective is, I'm the center of the universe. I'm looking out at the universe. Like it's my world. You're just in it. Second person is I can imagine, like we can go in our minds right now and you can imagine what it's like to sit here and be me looking back at you. Mm-hmm. Right. You can take a perspective of an other. Yes. You can imagine I'm sitting here. Maybe you can imagine I'm looking at a computer screen talking to you. Maybe you can imagine I can see your face. Maybe you imagine I can see your background that's behind you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're able to take the perspective of another. So that's a, that's a, a evolutionary perspective taking capacity, a new thing that we could do that we couldn't before. Third person perspective is objective, objectivism. So imagine now with our mind, we can go off into the corner and see what would it be like to look at the two of us having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so there's the objective point of view. And so we see with the mind, we could go over to the side and look at the two of us and go, oh, maybe you know, for me, my objective view, like those guys look like they're having a good time and they seem pretty friendly and they're laughing and smiling. And it seems <laughs> like they're pretty present with each other and have a nice conversation. So that's me taking a third person perspective, objective fly on the wall kind of view of you and me having a conversation. And then fourth person perspective is that that third person objective point of view is culturally and contextually informed based on the context that the person who's taking that perspective grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to see the two of us from a third person perspective point of view as objective, but fourth person, I might become aware, well, I'm seeing the two of them and I'm making meaning with, about it based on the fact that I was raised as a male in American culture, like in the Southeastern United States, like there are certain things about my upbringing and things that 
that are culturally, contextually informing the way I'm viewing them might look different if I was another gender or sexual orientation or from another part of the world or whatever, I had different life experiences, like, like whatever it is, I might come and bring a different air quote objective perspective. So that's the fourth person perspective as we become aware of context. Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. One of the things that before I asked that question that I wanted to bring into awareness is I, I know I've brought this into conversation with you before around the conscious leadership group. I know that you're familiar at least with uh, the work that they do and, and the book, the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And yeah, one, uh, one of the, like, to make this really practical, something that we can take around, like you're, you're pointing to the fact that anything that triggers us is, is just that we're carrying some sort of narrative or story within us. That is, that's why we are triggered by it. It's if we just looked objectively at what happened, we don't need to uh, get triggered by it. It just has been coded as such in our body or mind in some way. And in the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, it points to the facts that could be recorded as being something that only a video camera would be able to capture. And so a really simple cultural one would be like, if you said something vulnerable to me and I had like a frown or a smirk on my face, you would make some sort of meaning about that. It's like, oh, like, why, why are you judging me? I, you, you might get really reactive to that, right? And uh, there's a distinction between like, my face is just it put in a way right now where my brows are furrowed and I'm, my, my lip is curled up. And it, I, I guess there's, there's probably a point in someone's work where they could get to that stage where they, at the very least, are able to distance themselves or like have the reaction. And then another invitation from the book would be to say, the story that I'm making up about your face being like that is, and then you could check that story with the other person instead of like, you're judging me. You always do this, blah, blah, blah from there. So uh, yeah, there's the, the simple act of like, when we see something that's triggering to us and just naming like the story that I'm making up about this right now is I have found that to be uh, transformational in, in the types of conversations I have when I'm activated. Totally, totally beautiful, beautifully said. Totally, yeah. I mean, I, I say the uh, one of the most powerful sentence stems that you can use is "Is it true?" <laughs> yeah. And then whatever it is, and I find, I mean, in my personal experience, at least ninety percent of my interpersonal challenges are unchecked assumptions mm-hmm. and unchecked conclusions or unchecked stories. And so it's like, is it true that you're judging me right now? Right. And that just helps an un, unchecked assumption become into shared awareness. Or, you know, I have, I have, a, like you said, you know, I have this feeling I'm creating the story or judging me. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Totally liberating. Totally liberating. It, it creates this, it fosters connection in a way that you would not anticipate because totally. it's, it's, uh, it's not accusatory and it is, it's vulnerable in a way of you're distancing yourself and, and you're admitting maybe like scared, um, I'm in some sort of contraction, so. And and just to add one more nuance there, something I'm really noticing in this game is that we also have to notice if that lands. So if I really get to my most defended 
my most tender assumptions that I'm checking. Sometimes I'll go like, oh, is it true if you, you would love me less if it turned out I failed or something? And someone goes, no, but I might not let that in. I might have all this armor up and someone goes, no. And I'm kind of like, well, I, don't, I still don't believe you. And I'm just going to kind of carry on with the assumption I was still carrying. And so just one nuance is like, okay, I'm saying, hey, would you love me any less if I failed? And you say no. And it's like, can I feel that no come into me? And can I feel the truth of that? Like, if it feels true to me, can I feel that permeate into my being? And um, if it's a really, if it's something I really have been, been working on, sometimes it feels like I have like armor melting <laughs> on my body, like these places where I've gotten rigid and kind of ready to fight or protect myself or whatever, um, letting in letting in that the assumption that I've been carrying that's that's sourcing all that is actually not true when checked, that can be really transformational if we let it in. So yeah. Mm. Well said. Thanks for bringing that in as well. Well, one of the only areas that I had marked down that I wanted to explore that we haven't yet is around money, money consciousness mm. and I know that this is an area that you've been exploring more recently mm -hmm. and what is money consciousness and how has that been showing up for you as you continue to play this game of life right now? Yeah. What a fun question. Um, so we hosted an event called the future of money last week and we're recording this on March 10th. Yep. So yeah, the event was last week, March 10th, 2022. We had this event last week, and one of the panelists was a woman by the name of Sarah McCrum, and she has written a book called Love Money, Money Loves You, and it's a channeled book. So it's actually channeled from the consciousness of money itself. And for what that means, for anyone who's not familiar with channeling, is imagine that money has its own consciousness. Money has its own, almost like a human being, if we want to humanize it. Imagine money as a person. What would money have to say? So money's not a person, but, but, it, but in my experience, it does have a consciousness. It's an energy. And so she in, like, connected with this energy and the energy had messages it wanted to share with her and with humanity. And so she was kind of letting the consciousness of money ride through her hand onto the paper. That's, that's, that's the experience of what brought this book into being. And I highly recommend this book. I listened to it on Audible, which felt like I was getting the channel like straight transmission just through through her voice. Um, but I'm learning that a lot, first of all, I'm learning a lot of the stories that I grew up with around money are not in alignment with what the consciousness of money seems to, to I experienced the consciousness of money as a friend who's extremely direct and to the point. And a couple of my biggest takeaways are that the consciousness of money really wants to support our enjoyment, right? So this is kind of what we were talking about earlier, the transition away from like I used to really carry this story that I had to work hard to make money, you know, like there's a lot of that in me work hard. That's working hard is what makes money, that kind of story and meaning making perspective. And so I've been letting that go and really starting to see some results and some, some like seemingly like feedback from money in the universe saying like, Hey, if I follow my enjoy enjoyment and number two, if I'm in service, yeah. And the more I'm in service, the more money I make. And if that service is infused with enjoyment, that to me is like what the consciousness of money is really wanting to support. So that is a, that's me get paraphrasing and simplifying a 60 chapter book in two sentences. But what I'm finding is that in, 
you know, in my opinion, we're in this inflection point in the evolution of humanity. Like we're in this major transformational time, this major transition. There's, we've, in my opinion, from where I sit, we have outgrown the world as it is. And we're opening up to an entire new way of being, new culture, new systems, new institution, new technology, just new way of walking through life. And to me, money really wants to be a creative, collaborative, co-creative partner in that process. And it's saying the new, to me, I'm finding more and more and more that the new way of being is infused with and sourced from joy, from flow, from spontaneous genius, from playfulness, from love, right? And that money is like, I'm ready to create from this place. So if you're, if you're going to move through the world in flow, joy, bliss, love, innate joy of being, right? <laughs> um, that money's like, I'm in. Like, let's create together. Let's, and, and that there's even, there's an, I call it the economy of love. Now I'm really getting woo woo here. I, I, uh, I feel like people are going to be looking at me with eight heads with this, but yeah, to me, there's this, there's this kind of daunting awareness of like, if I let go of everything I've ever learned about money, and I have quite a bit of a money background. I used to work in corporate finance. I studied economics in college. I've been, I was an entrepreneur for most of my life. I mean, like, you know, I, I was a math guy. I majored in math and economics and business in college. Like I've got quite a business mind. My dad was a financial advisor, right? Like <laughs> I, I've got a lot of uh, conditioning or stories I've, I've learned and taken on and created around money. It's like, what happens if I let all of that go? Like, and not let it be defined anymore. And then I go, okay. Like, what if I, what if I become aware? Here's the awareness that really rattles me. Have I ever not had enough? Right. And all the time I've worried about not having enough. Have I ever not had enough? And I also become aware that we blame money for a lot of the things that are just human beings acting in ways that are toxic or irresponsible or fundamentally not okay. We give money the credit for that. Like, oh, money caused my friends to get divorced or money caused my parents to fight or money caused this war. It's like, I think we're giving money a little too much credit there. You know, I think that's our, I think we could take some more responsibility <laughs> for yeah. I don't think money's doing that. I think we could take some responsibility for just human behavior. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I'm unlearning a lot of, of what I've been carrying around money. And it seems there's a new, new way of being and a new way, like money is, it's like there's this new connection available. Like money's open to talking to us and we're open to talking to money and listening. And it's like, okay, this is probably gonna inform an entirely different kind of economy and way of moving through the world as it relates to livelihood and financial well-being and financial thriving and abundance and, 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 and these kinds of things. Hmm. Love it, man. Well, that book is definitely on my radar. It's, uh, it's something that I wanna look into and with regard to your eight heads comment, man, I, we're, we're deep enough into this conversation that people are, they're already experiencing us to have however many number of heads. So um, I'm here for all of it, ma'am. Were there any topics that we haven't hit on yet or any threads that you want to continue to pull on before I go into more of like rapid fire types of curiosity questions of mine? Yeah, what my biggest curiosity is I would love to hear I you and I have gotten to hang out in some different contexts mm -hmm. um some different kinds of calls I convene some some other some other place we've gotten to hang out but I'm curious like what you're noticing 
in the collectives, like I know you're in the monthly town hall collective would be a great example. Like what are you noticing from where you sit is happening in the town hall collective? What are you noticing is um, coming alive or being made possible in you and others in the space? And like, how's that informing how you're seeing the world and what's happening right now? Hmm. Well, I'll speak to the town hall collective that you have galvanized and uh, created. What feels possible in, in that group is what I have, is what I would normally bring to another group in my life and be looked at as like, you've, you've got your head in the sky, like something's wrong with you for like, there's no way that's possible, but like, keep on dreaming like a, like a little kid, but like here in adult land, we're just going to go out there and get things done. So being part of a community like that, it helps me tap into that. The deepest of my heart's desires is if I am able to really strip all of Michael down and get to my core, one of the things that I'm really lit up by is this, you know, a lot of my journey has been healing myself and that has gone through nutrition. That's been through therapeutic modalities, movement, connection with nature. And yeah, one of the possibilities that emerges from that is like, what if this was possible for everyone like you've named before? And being in a group like your town hall collective where everyone, I say that and everyone is like, two fists in the air and is like, fuck yeah, how do we do this? Like, let's, let's get this started. Instead of being in a group where it's like, okay, uh, go sit back down at your desk and just get, get your job done has been something that I'm working on integrating into, into my everyday life. Right? That's like, it, it's not, it's not quite there yet. You know, I, I still, I still work part-time in accounting. And I think that if I had the courage to like really bring that to a conversation with my coworkers, like the more that I open myself up to any person, the more, the more pleasantly surprised I am that like, oh, we all kind of want this. We just have different layers of, of armor up that are protecting against this. Yeah, what's it, what it's evoking for me is like, I'm holding the space for that and the like, I, I don't, I'm not ready for to like leap fully into like, what, what does that really mean? Uh, in terms of like, this is, this is how I make my entire living right here in search of like, how can we make everyone or resource everyone from the same place that I'm able to be resourced. Hmm. And so it's been, it's a, it highlights both the things that I love most about human potential and also the kind of my, my shadows that I get to pay more attention to and continue to do work on. And that's what felt most present for me when, when you, uh, when you asked me that question. So I'll say it, outside of the town hall collective, just like in the different groups that I participate in, I don't know, this probably wasn't what you were fishing for in the question, but what's become more and more evident for me is the, the deeper that I explore my body, the more I'm going to be in tune with whatever wants to be expressed through me or by me even. And that is still something that I resist because I 
I think a fully integrated person would be able to say, yes, that's true. And my mind can be a really powerful tool in carrying out what my body is communicating to me. And I am still at a place in my development where they are, my mind and my body are like dance partners that are, they're a little bit wobbly when they're together. And they're like, I know this is going to work out. Like, I know that we're meant to be good dance partners here, but we're just, something's just a little bit missing right now. So that's, mm. that's what, yeah, that's what that question evokes. I feel like a warmth in my chest and like a, a sense of connection hearing yeah. you share that. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate hearing, I appreciate hearing your reflection. It helps me feel uh, like I can see, 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 see more from your, from where you're sitting. Mm, yeah. Thanks, man. Well, I've, I've, I'll just say too, I, I, if you're up, are you open to a reflection or an, an impact? Yeah. 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 I, I've just been, I've been really impacted by how you show up in, in those calls and just, I, I experience you as really courageous and vulnerable and open and it's really inspiring for me. So I just wanted Thank to you. share some appreciation. Thank you, my friend. Well, I just have a, a couple of more questions before we wrap this up. This has been a fun one. I just want to, I want to celebrate how fun this is and that I, that, yeah, it's, it, I, I love getting kooky with you and exploring <laughs> just the beauty and complexity of this world and our experience as humans on this planet. So I just want to name that. One curiosity that I have is I, I've been asking all my guests this question recently. What's an everyday ordinary moment that brings you great joy? Mm, watching the sunrise yeah watching mm. the sunrise do you wake up every morning to watch the sunrise i did not do it today because it was five degrees here in boulder colorado this morning Woo. so i i um i guess what i would say is i do it as much as i can i do it when i feel called i feel i haven't seen it in two or three days and i feel kind of wonky now because it definitely like sets my circadian rhythms and when i release cortisol and melatonin and like all my rhythms kind of in harmony. And so my body's a little bit like, where is nature? What is happening? I feel a little like sterile or something right now, but yeah, watching the sunrise for sure. And as much as I can and would love to do it. I watched it every day for years and I would love to have that going again. So anyway, I watch it when I can I enjoy it whenever it happens for sure. Awesome. What's something that most people would be surprised to learn about you? Or that, like, what's an absurd thing that you love? And if it would be helpful, I could share something on my end. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So one of the, in recent years, there's been a, a movement or like a, a strong gravitational pull towards like doing this deep work and exploring human potential. And then a weird shadow that emerges from that is like, I start to shun all my unenlightened parts or something like that. And so one of one thing that I get great joy from that I, you know it's like it's been there forever for me is this show called Impractical Jokers. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. I, I mean it doesn't I don't care how evolved or unevolved or whatever I am. Like I'm gonna if I watch that show, I am gonna crack up and it's gonna be a full belly laugh no matter what. Like I just think they're totally. hilarious. Totally. Yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah, I love hearing that. 
gosh, if we if we are trying to become enlightened so we don't find impractical jokers, I don't know if I want to be enlightened. <laughs> that sounds awful. Um, that sounds terrible. I'm like looking around my bedroom for some inspiration. The question is, what's something weird about me or something people might not know, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be weird. It could it mm. could just be something that people would be surprised to learn about you. Like, I don't know, you, you love to play some an instrument or it could be anything. I, I'm just going to go with what's coming up for me. I love taking cold showers. <laughs> I, yeah. I love taking freezing cold showers. It makes me breathe deeply and it helps me feel in my body. And I, like, I actually love it. It's not like a thing I do to suffer. It's like I, I sometimes prefer the cold. I feel more alive. And I love being in the mountains. I just moved to Boulder like four days ago. And I used to live in Boulder. So it's not like I've never been here before, but I'm back and I just like, I'm looking at the mountains out of my window as I'm talking to you right now. Mm. And I just feel like concretely on planet earth. I just feel like I'm at home. Yeah. And I, I love, I love being in the mountains. It makes me so happy. Yeah. Well, before I ask my very final question, where would you point listeners to, to connect with you? Yeah, beautiful. Um, so my website is forest with two R's, F-O-R-R-E-S-T-B. Um, my middle name's Baxter, so just the letter B. And then Wilson with one L, W-I-L-S-O-N, forestbwilson.com. Um, that's my handle on Instagram, forestbwilson. You can find me there or um, I'm on social media platforms. Yeah, and if you get on my website, you can check, up, check out what I'm up to, check out offerings, check out things that I'm podcast I'm talking on or, or whatever. So I point people to my website and my email is forestbwilson at gmail. If anybody wants to email me, we can uh, happy to be in touch. Awesome, man. Well, the final question that I ask all my guests, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I want to know in your terms, what does it mean for Forrest to live a meaningful life? You know, I, I find more and more these days, like meaning is what we, we make it, right? Like we make up meaning. And so I have been, the question for me is like, what meaningful, what meaning is helpful mm-hmm. and what meaning is useful? And that kind of emerges, emerges in the moment. And oftentimes things just happen. I just decide not to make meaning. I'm like, I don't need to make any meaning of this. Like it's just events. And, and then I can, I can make meaning out of it when it's useful especially in kind of like orienting with other people, but even still, I kind of want to engage the question. And I guess like, so I I remember after my father passed away, I was reading man's search for meaning Victor Frankl. And also uh, um, what's his name? Who wrote seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, Is is it Charles Duhigg? No, No, Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey. Seven Habits of High Effective People. And in the second one, he has begin with the end in mind and you visualize your funeral and who's there and what do they have to say about you? And this was a pretty catalyzing exercise for me. I was reading both of those and thinking a lot about my own death. But if I go to, if I go to the meaning of my life, I tend to just go to my funeral and see who's there. What do they have to say? Like, how, how do I feel about the life I lived? And you know, like beyond like meaning to me is in the linguistic mind. Like that's in our rational mind. We make meaning, we make meaning out of life. And, and I, 
like I'm just amazed by the depth of connection we're able to like what's underneath the meaning right it's like at some point we become aware um the linguistic mind just can't fathom reality Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we can't understand all of what's going on in this moment and there's something bigger to to touch into for me i guess i'm saying all this because in a lot of ways i've let go of meaning making Mm -hmm. i I find it helpful sometimes but like in terms of putting meaning into things like sometimes i find that useful I'm giving kind of a meta answer on your question. I want to take deconstructing meaning right now, but um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I, sometimes I create some meaning when it's helpful, I guess is what I'll, what I'll say. I know this, I'm probably making this more complex than it needs to be. And the simplicity on all the other side of complexity is probably something like a, a meaningful life is fun, blissful and connected. And yeah, <laughs> I feel like a sense of letdown in me. Like I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't knock the closing pitch out of the park very well, but, but I'll just let it be what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I appreciate, I'll just say that I appreciate the both naming meaning is simply what we make of it. And there's an invitation to just be with whatever is. And the, uh, the visual of starting with the end in mind and picturing like, what do, what do I want people to say about me at my funeral? I think that that's an image that, all of us can relate to and, and resonate with. And man, uh, it's hard to imagine <laughs> a better way of spending two hours. And the time flew by, man. And I, I so appreciated having you on and exploring all of these deep curiosities of mine that a lot of times I don't feel safe exploring. And uh, it's always it's always so much fun to be with you, man. And I I really appreciate the the connection that we have, and every single time that we speak, it feels like we're uh, more more and more uh, deepening the friendship and co-creating this kind of a emerging world and, and being a part of it. So, thank you for being on and for your continued presence, man. And yeah, man, that's that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, thank you. I feel really warm and fuzzy hearing that, and and I'm I'm also very grateful. I, it's an honor to be on your show, and um, I appreciate. I feel uh, stretched and challenged by all the questions today. I I really appreciate uh, where you've invited this and this exploration, and yeah, just appreciate your presence and and your heart as always. It's it's good to be with you and, and good to be here. Yeah, thank you very much, and to all the listeners, I hope that you have a good rest of your day or night, and even if you think that me and Forrest have 30 million heads take good care thank you thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's search for meaning if you enjoyed it please subscribe share this episode with your friends and leave a review I look forward to seeing you next time my friends and until then stay safe stay well and keep living with purpose peace